Hello and welcome to Dial F for Flanger, which is a uh, comic pop culture chat show. And um, yeah, Flanger is my nickname, so if you don't know that, that uh, probably helps inform you about what the title means. So I have on the line with me, and the reason I've chosen these people is because we all read new comics from the Big Two. So um, I wanted to have a chat about the Big Two and pretty much the state of the Big Two at the moment. So um, I have with me Martin Gray from Edinburgh, but he's English. Hello there, good evening from England, North Scotland. <laughs> and I've got Sean Ross from, uh, where are you? You're in uh, Austin, aren't you? Or Phoenix. Close enough, yeah, Phoenix. Arizona. The American Southwest is, is all the same. It's all just desert. <laughs> yeah. I have actually been to um, Arizona, but I think I oh, just really? passed, passed through a corner or something. That's the best way to visit Arizona. <laughs> <laughs> was that like going to a comic convention? Uh, no, actually, that was the, the family holiday. Anyway, that was a, a separate thing. I have been to Heroes Con, in case you've never heard that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so these two gentlemen are both beautifully articulate people. Uh, Martin writes about comics on his blog. Uh, Sean talks about new Batman books on a podcast. Uh, but uh, yeah, I'm pretty much aware that both of you read new comics as they're coming out and have, uh, you know, pretty good opinions. So I thought we'd have a little chat around the big two and, you know, how they're doing. How would we score the big two at the moment? And, uh, you know, I'm not going to score them like we do on DCOCD, um, <laughs> this wrong podcast. But uh, yeah, l let's do Marvel first because I talk about DC all the time. So, okay, sure. Marvel. So, Sean, what are you reading for Marvel at the moment? So I think Marvel is is in an interesting place. It's the the X Men line is really wonderful right now. It's all the Krakoa age, and it's it's sort of this one really tightly knit area of the Marvel universe. But but overall, the Marvel universe is in a little bit of trouble. I think their tentpole books are really struggling, in particular Avengers and the associated books. And so I think this is a really really interesting time for Marvel because my favorite Marvel books are the smaller corners of it. So the, the first book I would highlight is Daredevil by Chip Zdarsky and Marco Cicchetto. It is, they've been on the book about three years at this point, and it has been a phenomenal run. It basically highlighted by the fact that Daredevil went out, Matt Murdock went out as Daredevil when he was not in the best sort of physical and emotional and, and mental state, stopped a crime, but in, inadvertently killed one of the criminals in stopping the crime. And that starts at sort of the MacGuffin that starts off this this whole run, which has, you know, some really, really cool events like Electra becoming Daredevil at one point to help support Matt. Matt's in prison at one point. You know, the Kingpin is mayor. It's it's not necessarily new ground for Daredevil, but it's being done so well. And it's just it's a it's a phenomenal book. I, are either of you reading that book? I am definitely. Yeah, I find uh, I mean, Daredevil is one of my favorite these uh, Marvel characters, so I mm -hmm. keep up with Daredevil pretty much all the time. Um, and I do think that the Chip Zdarsky run is one of the best in a while. Like, I think it's actually oh, yeah. outshone the uh, Charles Soule run and mm -hmm. um, probably the Mark Wade run for me, although the Mark Wade run did have the spectacular art. But, yeah, it, 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 I mean, it's not something completely new, but it's, it's, it's good. It's solid. You know, it's doing what Daredevil does really well. So, yeah, I, I agree with you on that. Yeah, and interesting that, uh, you know, Marvel have uh, lost a little bit of control of Chip and he's going over to DC to work <laughs> on Batman next. So, which, which is phenomenal because, like you said, I, I co host the Bat Pod with Bill Beer and we have covered a, a couple of Bat books that Zdarsky has written recently, one coming out right now called Batman the Night, and they are phenomenal. I mean, I, I had no idea Zdarsky was going to turn into this 
great a writer. I mean, he's a phenomenal artist. I didn't know he would be this good a writer, but I love the idea of the same writer doing Batman and Daredevil at the same time. There's a really cool symmetry there. Yeah. You've convinced me, Sean, to have another look at Daredevil, you too, Paul, because I've not really had a, followed Daredevil since Mark Wade went off, because when I saw that it was going to be sort of going a bit grim and gritty again, and, you know, King Kingpinny and... And hearing that Daredevil's been in prison yet again, it just <laughs> it doesn't automatically come. I just get so tired of Daredevil going, you know, going being taken down again, like you know, as as in the Born Again story right before he rises up at the end. I just I, I like Daredevil being a bit a bit happier. But if it's a good, you know, good story, I'm very interested to see why on a Electra, who is so much her own character, would start dressing up in a flappy red costume and she called it like or something. No, she's, she's straight daredevil. But I have to say, Martin, you're right on the surface. If you just gave me the elevator pitch, I would say, yeah, that's every daredevil run basically since Frank Miller, you know, other than Anne Nascenti and, and Mark Wade. But it, it just is, it's so well done, so well drawn. It's so really captures the essence of the character that I, I, it is, it is rapidly becoming one of my all-time favorite runs of that book. And, and actually, I, not that we would discuss this today, but I would actually posit that Daredevil has the most great runs in the history of comics versus other series. I mean, you get Miller twice, you get Nascenti and Kiesel and Wade and, and even, even Bendis and Maleev, that was a great run. And then this current run is phenomenal. So for it to be moving up the ranks that, you know, within only about three short years, I just think it's really knocking it out of the park. And and again, Marvel is fond enough of the work he's doing on it that they didn't do what Marvel usually does and fire him when he was announced as the new Batman writer. They didn't pull a John <laughs> Byrne, uh, you know, with Superman. And so so it's, I think it's just funny that he's writing both books. Yeah, well, I, th- I thank you for mentioning the, the Kiesel, Carrie Nordrum, because that was one of the my favorite Daredevil runs ever. Me too. Rarely gets to mention. What, the main thing that will get me reading the current one is, is Foggy treated well? He is actually. It, it reminds me of the way that he is depicted in the Netflix show. I don't know if you've had a chance to watch it, but very much a capable sounding board for Matt. And then somebody who has his own sort of mind, life, opinions isn't going to be overrun by Matt's life. Ah, OK, I'll take a look at Marvel Unlimited. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Now, let's do the Xbox, Sean. So you are a big fan of the Xbox. I'm I'm not such a big fan of them. I, I, I yeah, I, I feel like the Krakoa premise is pretty overwhelming and has sort of affected yeah. everything and given everything the same sort of tone, unfortunately. And I'm particularly uh, dismayed by the the ex deaths of Wolverine and the ex lives of Wolverine at the moment because I, I I feel like they're just they're a real mess. <laughs> but l- let's hear what you think. I don't disagree, by the way. X Deaths of Wolverine, I think, has been really good, the, Mo- the Moira McTaggart story. But X Lives of Wolverine, I could have just been the next arc of X-Force. So I, I will say I am a, a comic book <laughs> – I hate to use this term, but I'm a comic book junkie. And so you know, if you put a, a buffet in front of me like the X line where most people will pick and choose, oh, I'll collect this book but not this book, I am the guy who says all the books. Give me all the books <laughs> all the time. So I do buy the entire X line. And so I, for me, it is a, uh, a holistic experience. It's this era and you know, and it won't last forever. And I know that. So I'm just getting enjoyment out of it while I can. It's this era where, you know, they've sort of just upset the apple cart. The, you know, quote unquote heroic and villainous mutants are all together, all in one place, trying to form a nation. 
uh, Krakoa trying to establish, you know, mutant rights, mutant power. And it, it, I just, it, for me, it really echoes a lot of the more interesting elements politically in the world. Um, I, I'm Jewish, so it kind of reminds me of the foundation of Israel and some of the things that happened there for good and for ill. You know, it reminds me a lot of, of the very awesome, you know, movements of, of minority groups and disenfranchised groups really claiming their power over the last 20 years. And so I, I like that element of it. But at the same time, one of the things I'm enjoying the most about it is it's it's all of the characters. You just never know who's going to show up in a book. Now, I don't disagree with you that some of the books have had a similar flavor. I think the X I think the X office has caught on to that because like a couple of the new books that have come out, the the Victor Laval, Leonard Cook, Sabretooth miniseries, Leonard Kirk, Kirk, excuse me, is phenomenal and is not like anything else in the X line. And then Kieran Gillen is coming on with an immortal X-Men book about the quiet council that rules over Krakoa. So I do think they're trying to diversify the line a little bit more, but I'm just really in on the premise. And then I, I very much love, you know, I'm such an X fan and I have all these little pet characters that I've loved over the years who just don't show up. And, and one of the things that's really great about this era is that not only can they show up, they can show up and have really meaningful stories and it's all, you know, it stands on its own, but then it's part of a larger tapestry. So I'm a really big fan of this era. I get the problems with it, I get for some people it's a huge commitment, you know, to buy all the comics in the line if that's the way people go. I also get that maybe politically it doesn't feel like the X-Men are necessarily the heroes anymore, though I I would push again, I'd push back against that. I know some people feel that way, but I just really love it. And I think we've had decades of, you know, hated and feared, you know, group of, you know, small band of mutants in a school, you know, protecting and serving those who would destroy them, and I really like that there's just been this huge turn and that we're getting this era because eventually it'll go back, right? That's what comics do. They go back to their default settings. And I'll really enjoy this era and, and I'll always look at it as something very unique in the history of the book. Yeah, I mean, it started with House of X and Powers of X with Jonathan Hickman steering everything. Mm-hmm. And uh, I feel like, you know, that was that was a good flow. And I was like, oh, this is very interesting and different. And, you know, the revelations about Moira McTaggart were pretty mind-blowing when they first yeah. happened. But then... They went from here's this, you know, good, solid, you know, river of X-Men to let's open all the floodgates all at once. And here's a a tidal wave of similar X-Books. And I actually, um, I was reading them all and I was, I was actively hate reading a couple of them. Like, I really, I mean, it may just be where I I came from, but uh, yeah. No, there were a couple of bad ones. Yeah. So I will say if, if somebody hasn't checked it out. And they're thinking about checking it out. Obviously, you have to start with Powers of Ten and, and House of X. But the um, Hellions book was brilliant. Yeah, I love the Hellions book. Yeah, I think X Factor by Leah Williams was really, really good. I think New Mutants, once uh, Vidai Ayala and Broad Rice come on board, is really good. And then I really have enjoyed, the, like I said, the Sabretooth miniseries. So there are some really, really bright spots. You know, there are some books like, and I, you're you're probably referring to maybe like Excalibur hasn't been everybody's favorite. Oh, I, I thought, Excalibur. <laughs> and so I, I I struggled with it, and then after X Ten of Swords, that whole event, I really liked where it went. I, I thought I liked where it was starting to go, so I'm a little I'm excited to see where it goes next. Though it's it's a I have a rocky relationship with it, uh, but it's you know it's it's definitely and then Steve Orlando's coming in on Marauders, and that's the other thing I like too is that there's a uh, diversity of voice on that line that's really nice to see and it's showing up not only in who's creating the books but also in who's starring in the books and I think that's really cool I think it's 
for a for a book, X Men is supposed to be you know representative of of culture. It hasn't historically been, and I like the fact that it is now. You know, as importantly, I think the stories are really good, but I just think it's a fun time to be an X fan. And and you know, like you said, it is a big commitment, and not every book shines. I I Ben Percy's not my favorite writer. You know, I don't really love necessarily his some of his stuff, but overwhelmingly, I think the line's in a good place. I did try. I, I read all of Powers, Powers of X, and the what was the one Powers of X and something uh, House of X and Powers of X. Yeah, yeah. I, I read all of those and I started reading the books and just bit by bit, you know, I going as as you know they were getting the Island of Kakoa together and you have to get the Quiet Council form. It just seemed like basically Magneto had won. The X the X Men weren't yeah. acting at themselves. Professor X has got his helmet on and doesn't seem doesn't seem trustworthy and i was the whole time i'm reading i'm just waiting for the other shoe to drop and you know to find out this is some some big evil plan then as i'm reading more it seems to be some kind of you know sex island everyone's having parties all the time (laughs) the the parallel with 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 israel was really interesting to hear but i don't i just don't in the marvel universe i just don't get the ex-isolationism thing i think they should be out there because this idea that i never got the idea that that the people of the regular marvel earth would hate mutants particularly when they're just it's just another form of getting superpowers if they don't hate anyone with superpowers why would they hate mutants and for the mutants to step away rather than integrate i know and i know it's not going to be forever but it jolly well feels like it's been forever it must have been about four years now something like that and i believe jonathan jonathan hickman stepped away because he wanted to start wrapping it up and that Marvel, the Marvel of the other writers on the books wanted to keep it going a while long because they're enjoying it, which is fair enough. But I just, I just wish there was maybe just one old school, traditional mutants in the mansion book, just something a little, a little friendly. Because when I, I keep, I did back in every couple of months, and I, I went in for the, uh, the big party event last year, when they all had nice dresses and suits. <laughs> I mean, I've been reading X Men comics all my life, and it's just there's so many characters. They're just, yeah, yeah. I think I think you've got to have a certain kind of cleverer brain than I have to be able to follow it all. But I look forward to at some point jumping back in again and being able to just relax and enjoy it rather than worrying about what's happening in all the other books. Yeah, and and that is that's that's completely understandable. And and they have said it's funny. The X Office has said that they're entering sort of the the next big act of the Kirkcoan age. And this is the the cracks start to show things start to fall apart era, era. Like that's where we're entering now, this destiny of X era. And that I think is going to be really interesting too, because nation building is an ugly thing, right? It's a messy thing and there are consequences to it. And they, you know, I think the consequences are coming. And, and I do see the the signs of them maybe branching out one book into a, like, an anti-Krakoa book or if not anti-Krakoa a hey we're going to go back to trying to assimilate and live with humans and a world of you know peace and and harmony I do think they're planting the seeds for that because they know right now it's all consuming and they want some sort of parallel voices in there so I just think it's really interesting I, I like when comics take big swings and you know for me this big swing worked and I'm I'm just ready to ride it out, you know, because I, I think we're probably only a couple of years away until until the reboot. 
Yeah, I, I feel the line suffered just because it was so broad and there was so much happening. And it really was very hard to go, oh, this is the central plot that matters in these books. Yes, um, yes. Because it sort of meandered everywhere. And Excalibur was interminable and I, you know... <laughs> it took a rough read. I felt like I was missing everything about the book because I didn't immerse myself in X-Men as a child. Uh, yeah, I felt that in a lot of cases it was like, well, this is referring to something I don't understand. And th- then you'd get an interesting concept, and you go, oh, okay, way of X. This is going to talk about X, you know, mm. mutant religion, and then it just completely shifts and does nothing, you know. <laughs> and that sort of thing happened a few too many times. And yeah, it's like I, I New Mutants. I, I loved all that stuff when they're in space with the Shi'ar, and then uh-huh. uh, you know, it sounded like. I hated this, the take they had on um, Gabby in that book because it just felt like they'd just undone everything that I liked about Gabby from uh, Tom Taylor's uh, All New Wolverine, and you know, mm-hmm. so it was just a mess. I, I, yeah, but there were things that I enjoyed. What did they do to Gabby? She just she regressed a bit into more of being a child. Yeah, they did. They made her a little bit younger, though. I, I do think if you follow that story through, they they end up in a good place with her where she's sort of with Laura again. And, and I, I think they took her on a little bit of a journey. But the, the New Mutants is an interesting one because right now it's Rod Rice is penciling it, and it's it's shades of Bill Sienkiewicz. It's really – the mm. art is, is, in, is, is lovely, and I like the writing. I like the storytelling elements of it quite a bit. But, you know, where the, where the line is weak – it's it's really weak and you know Excalibur being one of those books and I think X Force is was really repetitive it's kind of the same story again and again and again and yeah. so some of the, those those parts are tough but yeah I, I like that they're bringing on and what you're saying is completely true there was no centralized X book around which everything circled which made it tough and I think that's what they're changing uh, Immortal X Men by Kieran Gillen is going to be that book that's mm-hmm. going to be the central X book along with Jerry Duggan's X Men you know, which is X-Men as superheroes book and everything else is going to kind of fall around it. So I think they're learning, you know, and, and but again, overwhelmingly, I've enjoyed the experience. If, if not every not every series has been perfect, but I will say this is the, the most I've loved X-Men in I don't even I mean, 20 something years, maybe maybe since Grant Morrison. Yeah, I, I it's it's different, but there's too much of it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying not just survived the experience. Sean's enjoyed it. Yes, exactly, exactly. <laughs> okay, so, um, Martin, are you reading The Fantastic Four? I am actually reading The Fantastic Four, yes, because it's just always been one of my favourite Marvel comics, and I've dropped off a couple of times down the years, but at the moment it's just really, really good, because Dan Slott, you know, it's obviously he's wanting to write The Fantastic Four for many, many years. He was always, like, before he wrote Spider-Man, he was always trying to get Spider-Man into things, and now he, he's got a hold of The Fantastic Four, and I, it's just, He's doing a fine job. He's got the real family dynamic. He's not scared of having the big plot lines. He's had a very interesting storyline involving Doctor Doom getting revenge on the Human Torch for a romantic <laughs> by sort of basically setting with Nova Flame the whole time and Reed's doing his usual thing of saying, I'll sort that out. I'm not getting it sorted out because he's always distracted by something else. And they've just started this storyline called The Reckoning War, which has been getting mm-hmm. teased for about 15 years from the time Dan Slott was on She-Hulk. And that's, you know, a big cosmic sprawling storyline involving other other Earth heroes as well. We don't quite know what She-Hulk's big role is going to be because she's meant to have started the whole thing. But the bad, the bad thing about that is it features heavily the Watchers. I don't like the Watchers. They're boring. But the good thing is that the storyline is 
bit by bit, it looks like reverting Nick Fury from being some kind of giant cosmic football <laughs> after the other to back to being a more recognisable Nick Fury. Are either you guys reading the comic? I am, yeah. Are you, Paul? Yes, yeah. What are your thoughts? Because I, I, it's, it's interestingly divisive online, which I don't understand because I really love it. But go ahead, Paul. Yeah, I don't have a Fantastic Four canon that I feel it has to adhere to. And I, I haven't read endless runs. Like, uh, I've read the Mark Wade and the James Robinson run. So I, I'm actually really enjoying it. I kind of do like that, you know, it's... It is taking really big swings and doing them well as far as, you know, big cosmic stories. And, you know, I like the fact that the characters are doing something you really like and then Johnny will do something. You do, oh, you idiot. <laughs> <laughs> and it just has uh, consequences like that. Um, and I've liked the growth in um, The Thing. Uh, mm-hmm. So Ben, Ben's become a very stable, uh, you know, he's like the most mature member of the team at the moment as far as the way he it acts. It's really wonderful with the family, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's the heart of it for me too is is the Ben and Alicia getting married and then adopting, you know, two kids, one squirrel, one Cree, and, and that family dynamic is, is, I mean, that's always the heart of the Fantastic Four, but that Ben Grimm family dynamic for me is fantastic. I Part of the, the pun. I love that storyline. And, and I think Slot's attention to family is, is absolutely the heart of that book. Yeah. And I feel like it has probably the best art in the Marvel Universe at the moment. Mm. Um, it's had some really good r- run of artists in a row. Whereas I think about the X-Men books and I no artist really stands out and it's all just a blur of similar looking so- style. Whereas I think, you know, I look at the Fantastic Four and I go, oh, I'd like that artist over it. DC. <laughs> yeah, yeah R.B. Um, Silva is drawing it right now, and he's great. Yeah, well, the last two issues have been drawn by a woman called Rachel Stott, mm-hmm. and I believe she's British. In fact, I think I met her once, and I just love the work that she's doing. It's, I mean, I like R.B. Silva, but I actually really love the last two issues. Yeah, Rachel's done Doctor Who books, I believe. Ah. No, no, that book is a ton of fun, and I, again, I, I think the the attention that's being given to each of the characters... Ben in particular being the, again, pardon the pun, the rock of the team. And we're not seeing the sort of whiny Ben necessarily or the, you know, maudlin. We're seeing him much more as that heart of the Marvel Universe, Ben Grimm, who I love. And I, and the addition of Alicia and the family has been great. And, and, you know, Johnny as, as reckless and maybe destroying his, his one true love. That relationship has been really interesting. It's just a, it's a really good book. It's well written. There's a clear focus. There's a clear goal that it's working towards. It's well drawn. And I, it's funny because again, I, some of the discourse, you know, you never know, but some of the discourse I'll see online are people are like, Oh, this book needs a new creative team. And I'm thinking, I hope this creative team doesn't go anywhere. I, I, I want, you know, years more of this creative team. Oh, ditto. I mean, I mean Dan, Dan Sauls, who's been doing really nice work making me, making Mr. Fantastic likable again. I mean, I know you don't mm-hmm. always have to like it, but for me, if it's four heroes, I want to like Mr. Fantastic, and I haven't really liked him since I think Civil War, back when he got yeah. when he got uh, you know Bill Bill killed, big giant Bill killed by the Thor clone, and with his with his and there's this whole Illuminati business. I just want that out the window. But recently, you know, Reed's been seeming saner, warmer. There was an absolutely lovely lovely scene in the last one or two issues in which it was just basically Reed and Sue being in love, and I just adored it, and I want more of that kind of thing. 
Alright, so let's shift to the spider books. So is anyone reading the spider books apart from me? I am, yeah. <laughs> I, I packed in, I just got, got bored with it. I just don't like Ben O'Reilly's stories. The guy at the comic shop said to me, it doesn't matter what you do on a Spider-Man book, it all sells exactly the same every month. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's that's being evidenced by the choices they're making in the book at the moment. Yeah, I think, I, this is again going back to me you know, being a comic book junkie, I stuck with that Nick Spencer run oh. for seven, 75 issues, and I am actively angry at myself. I, I'm actively – like when I think about my, my comic collecting habit as problematic, that is one of the things I hold against myself because that run was – and I, I don't want to – you know we're here to celebrate, but that run was aggressively mediocre. It was yeah. just so bad. It was the same story for 75 issues. And the, and yet still crammed it all in at the end and didn't make any sense and thought it was doing this great grand continuity revelation. And I, I, I actively hate that book. And yet I stuck with it. And I, and I, when they, when they re, didn't, you know, the new direction they took at the end here, I was like, okay, I, I don't like Ben Riley either. I have no interest in this. I only remember the Beyond Corp, you know, from the, the Warren Ellis, you know, Stuart Eminen, uh, book, which, whose name I'm forgetting right now. And, um, oh, Next Wave. Yes. Thank you. Next Wave. And I was like, I, but I'll, you know, whatever. I'll pick up a couple issues. And I, I will tell you, Paul, I can't tell if they're good or not. Yeah. Or if they're just so much better than the Spencer run that I'm <laughs> like enjoying them. I don't know. It's like, it's like I've been eating just porridge for 75 years and all of a sudden I was given a, a Big Mac and the Big Mac inherently is not good but it's so much better than the porridge that I'm like oh this is great <laughs> so I'm enjoying this Beyond story but I'm only really enjoying it because I know it's ending and I know Zeb Wells is taking over the book and I really love Zeb Wells so it, I'm in a strange place with it what about you? I'm pretty much in the same place it, it, this is just it feels like a phase you've got to get an awkward you know growing phase that it has to go through <laughs> to get out of the Nick Spencer Oh, fuck. Yes. Um, and, I mean, Nick Spencer, I loved his superior foes of Spider-Man. Oh, so, me too. You know, and I thought him on Spider-Man would be really fun because he's a funny guy and he writes, mm -hmm. you know, funny stories and everything. And, no, he doesn't when he gets on Spider-Man. He just brings in a horrible villain called Kindred and tells the same oh. story over and over and over again. And, yeah, so uh, I was expecting... Uh, I don't know. It is... Yeah, this is a different flavour and I like it at the moment. I mean, the, it does feel like, yeah, this is really temporary. Why are we drawing it out? But, I mean, it's also weekly, so it's just relentlessly, you know, moving forward as you go. I think Peter's almost back in the saddle fully. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so, uh, yeah, I'd, I'd say they're on track for something better, but it hasn't been a great um, last few years. The, the one shout-out I would give from that line, though, is the Black Cat book by Jed McKay was fantastic. That was my favorite, one of my favorite Marvel comic books of the last three years. It had two separate, you know, typical Marvel. I think it was like 10 issues rebooted and it was like 10 issues. And then it's had a couple specials and there's another one coming. That book has been a blast. It's been the, my favorite Felicia Hardy story of all time. R.B. Silva did a lot of the art on that book, too. But Jed McKay, I think, is the best writer at Marvel right now, kind of parallel maybe with Al Ewing. And that that Black Cat book was great. Did, did either of you read that book? Yes, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, it, it, it was. It had that um, uh, hijinks and everything that you uh -huh. from a, a criminal 
comic, you know, she was always doing ridiculous uh, heists and, you know, against all odds pulling them off and, you know, everyone trying to outwit her and at the end she outwits them and, yeah, that's that was really good. It's it's the best Catwoman book I've read in, in forever. <laughs> that's, that's a good, good point. <laughs> Martin, have you been in that one? No, I've been meaning to. I've heard such good things and Felicia is among my favourite Spider-Man characters. And I, again, she's it's on the list of things that I keep meaning to read on Marvel Unlimited and just never get to because the relent, the relentless weekly toll of the comics. But my 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 big fantasy is that you know one day I'll be able to retire and just get to read. <laughs> but I certainly I said I read a I read a special recently in which it was Felicia teaming up with Mary Jane. Yes. Oh yes. But, that, that was very, that was very enjoyable. We were making a deal with a demon about the hood and things like that. So, and I think I think it ended badly for the hood. So that made me happy. <laughs> and that's that same creative team who's done the Black Cat book. So it's yeah. very much in that same style of just you know really tongue in cheek, you know really fun and and creative. I mean, her first the, the first arcs of, of that book, she robs Doctor Strange's Sanctum Sanctorum. She robs the Baxter Building. She robs Danny Rand. So it's a fun like Felicia oh, robbing the Marvel good. Universe. Yeah, yeah it's a blast. Right, I'll, I'll get on to that. I need a sick day now. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, uh, really quickly, just I, I think the Spider-Woman book is good. I hate Silk. Um, I I think Miles <laughs> Morales is in a really bad spot at the moment as far as his yeah, book me too. being interesting. Um, Venom is... If you, if you like Venom, you'll probably keep liking Venom, but, you know, this isn't enough to me to like Venom. And yeah, I'll probably leave it there. Anything to add there, Sean or Martin? No, I'm not a Venom fan. I I did really enjoy the Danny uh, Donny Cates Ryan Stegman run. It's the only Venom run I've ever owned. I, I don't. It's a character I don't like at all. But I jumped ship when they jumped ship. Yeah, I've I've never read any stories involving Venom or Carnage or any of those. I just it just the whole thing just turned me off. I just I just avoided it. It's like I've never read a Deadpool book, although I enjoyed the film. But uh, yeah. are any of you reading the? Did anyone try the new Doctor? Not Doctor Strange. The new Strange book featuring Clear. Yes. Yeah, me too. Really good. Really good. I've only read the first issue, but I thought it was superb. So, and I've I've enjoyed the death of Doctor Strange as well. That's been really fun. That was great. It was an interesting story, and the, the demons that they created in that visually were just fantastic. And Ooh. It was a very very nicely put together tale, and now now the the continuation with Clear taking over as Doctor Strange and. In my mind, Clear still, you know, they're generally not not meek, but you know, quiet, nice girls from Defenders and old Doctor Strange stories. And here she really is presented as, you know, as the you know the niece of the dread door, the dread door mammy of the daughter of Umar. And you know, she doesn't, she's not a bad person, but when she uses her powers, the bad guys do not want to get in the way. Mm. And I, there's there's a certain imperiousness to her when she's when she's empowered in battle but then when she's relaxing with Wong she's just again she's just the, the nice the nice person next door <laughs> and just the fact that she took down Doctor Doom sorry Professor Allen so well yeah on anyone who just wipes that smile off his smug masked face <laughs> I'll certainly be watching the new strange book what do you think Sean I, I'm, I'm a big fan I've always loved Clea I've always thought she was underutilized and I yeah. really like you. You captured it perfectly, Martin. The idea that she is the sorcerer supreme of the dark dimension makes her a you know force to be reckoned with, and the fact that she's bringing that to bear in this new role is really really compelling. I I'm I'm super excited about it. I I liked the book. I'm I 
liked Death of Doctor Strange. If you're actually, just as a quick aside, if either of you are looking for another fun Doctor Strange-centric book, Al Ewing and Javier Polito did a five-issue Defenders mini, and they're doing another one. It's not it's not old school Defenders, but if you they just kind of reuse the name. But it is a really fun book, and and Javier Polito's art is always gorgeous. So I, well, I like I, it. I tried the first two issues of that, but it's, again, I must say it wasn't bad. It wasn't great at what it does, but it wasn't really for me. It was a bit too sort of. I, I mean, when I'm in the mood, I think I really like Al Ewing big high concepts. But sometimes it can go too far. Like I was enjoying this Hulk comic until I got to issue 25, which was about 48 pages of basically 1970s concept album gobbledygook that I couldn't follow. <laughs> and this, a couple of issues of Doctor Doom seemed to be going in, in the same direction. Like we're, we're going back 68 billion years to meet the mother of Galactus. And it wasn't for me. But I, could, I loved the art and I could tell it was going to be very successful in whatever he was trying to do. But that one just wasn't for me. I know that Hulk issue, and I think it's... Yep. That Hulk issue is um, like a tribute to, I think it's Swamp Thing 60 by Alan Moore, the one where he goes back in time and it's all prose. <laughs> it, it's not much fun. <laughs> that's a perfect way to describe it, though. A, a yeah, 1970s concept album of an issue. That's that's a perfect description. <laughs> that, I, mean, I seriously, I tried three times to get to it, and I just I honestly couldn't. I just couldn't do it. Yeah. That's funny. Yeah, I thought Immortal Hulk was a pretty amazing run. Um, mm-hmm. I'm glad it's it's over. Um, sorry about the stuff that happened in the art, everyone. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, but, yeah, Donny Cates, I th- he's like... Um, you're at a party and someone offers you a line of sherbet to snort and you know <laughs> it's it's quite startling but it, i'm not sure if it's good for you um, yeah. so so i'm not really enjoying thor but i want to talk about what has happened to jason aaron yeah oh my gosh does anyone know where's the guy who wrote thor yeah i, I so i do this silly thing in my head where i rank which company has the best writers at a given moment and I'm like, oh, okay, who's Marvel's A-list writer right now? And I'm like, oh, okay, well, you know, Jason Aaron and and Dan Slott and you know, and I'll like DC, you know, it'll be like Tom King and they got Bendith. They got, and I'll, I'll do this little back and forth in my mind, just goofiness. And I I was thinking about Jason Aaron, and I would have sworn by him four years ago. His that his Thor run is the only run that's ever approached the Walt Simonson run in my mind. You know, I loved his Wolverine and the X-Men book was a ton of fun years ago. I I just have loved everything that guy's done. But this Avengers run is is like the Nick Spencer Spider-Man run. It is just so boring. And it's I don't feel any stakes. And it feels like I, I call it Michael Bay, the comic book, because it just feels like a <laughs> Michael Bay, an empty calorie Michael Bay, Bay blockbuster, which is fun at times. But then over the course of like 60 issues, I'm like, oh, what, are, what are we doing here? I, I you know what I mean? I, I, I almost I almost need. And Paul, you and I have talked about this. We're both big James Robinson fans. And then James Robinson, you know, kind of snorted his talent. And and we talked about that Airboy miniseries from Image. I almost need one of those from Jason Aaron just explaining like, hey, (laughs) something happened in the last two years. It did. You know, I took a dip, but I'm back. You know, and I I wish he would come back because he has historically been one of my favorite writers. And I'm I am just not on board with most of what he's doing right now. Yeah, I agree. Are you not enjoying the Avengers of 1 billion B.C.? Whatever it was. (laughs) (laughs) Or if, you know, is, Phoenix is Thor's mom. I mean, it's just crazy. Oh, honestly, I I, I tried the first few issues. And I, I mean, I was already sort of not inclined to like it hugely because of the lineup involving people like the ghost driving in a car. But uh, 
I just started reading it. It's just I'm just sick of there being earlier versions of characters. Can't and legacy. Mm-hmm. You know, like can't characters just be the first of their kind and be unique and spawn characters after them? But just I don't want to don't want to hear that. You know, there was a, a Deadpool 50 BC or something like that. <laughs> it's got um, Christopher Walken walking in every now and again and going, "I need more Deathlocks." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yes, they are getting paid by the Deathlock on that series. I don't know. It just it really it's funny because on paper. You know, if you told me that, again, the elevator pitch sounds great, you know, the not necessarily the one million BC stuff, but just, you know, lineup of powerful heroes. And, you know, there, there's this plot line with Mephisto and this other plot line with Dracula and this other plot line with whatever. But just reading the book, I it's I, I will finish an issue and for literally forget what I just read within seconds. It just isn't it isn't clicking. And and again, my sense is it's not clicking for most people. So I'm just surprised that the run has been as long as it's been. Yeah. All right. So who is the most dominant writer at Marvel right now? Like who's guide? Is there a writer guiding the ship at Marvel at the moment? I don't know of one. I certainly. I mean, I'm not reading as much Marvel as I was reading at Marvel because it's just the general the general tone of the universe right now isn't for me. I'll try. I'll try. I'll try books here and there with favorite characters, and I might enjoy one or two issues. Then by issue three, it's like. It's not exciting me that much. It's four ninety nine. I'll wait and read it on Marvel Unlimited, and then never get around to it. So, I'm not best placed, Sean. I think Marvel is missing a a, a dominant, not not voice, so that everything has to sound like it. But it it almost feels like it's missing a central office right now. It feels like it's a bunch of sort of satellites that don't have a, a center. And I, I, you know, in, in my little dumb personal rankings of writers, like Al Ewing is probably my favorite writer at Marvel right now, and then Dan Slott and Vita Ayala, and, you know, there's some, some, some other, Leo Williams, there's some others, but I don't think they have a dominant voice, and I think it's the Bendis hangover. I think Bendis dominated Marvel for good and for ill. I love, I love much of Bendis, and I, I, I'm something of a Bendis apologist for most of his career, but I think Bendis's vision and and he and Casada you know, being sort of partners in the in the 2000s and 2010s dominated Marvel so much that it felt like the whole universe was was circling around those books. And, you know, again, for good or for ill. And then with Bendis leaving, it has felt like Marvel has been kind of without a center. And I think that's a good thing because I like new voices emerging and I want to see creatively where they decide to go. But we're definitely in the interregnum period. We're definitely in the like kind of waiting for what emerges next period. And sometimes that brings really creative things, and sometimes it feels a little lost. Yeah, I I, I feel like yeah, Marvel doesn't have a a hand at the tiller um, mm-hmm. for everything, or you know, moving it all into a good direction. I think you know, I think Christopher Cantwell is a really interesting writer, and I think he's doing some oh, yeah, interesting yeah. stuff. His uh, Iron Man, his Doctor Doom, they were great. Um, but yeah, one thing I've also noticed at Marvel is there's a, a sweep, a sweep of nostalgia coming in. So you've got a Silver Surfer book um, by Ron Mars and Ron Lim at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll do a reference for Martin, the two Ronnies. <laughs> yeah, and we've got Maestro by Peter David. Um, we've got uh, Chris Claremont is still doing you know fiddly little X books around the place which don't fit into the line. Um, I think. What, there's a Venom Lethal Protector book coming in at some point. So, yeah, it has so, Jerry Conway. Wow, yeah. Or maybe, or maybe David Michelini, sorry. I think it's David Michelini. Right, yeah. So the nostalgia seems to be suddenly ascendant there, and they're trying to um, you know, 
keep the people interested who loved it in the 80s. Yeah, if Steve Englehart comes back, I'll be super impressed. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I think, it's, I think it's, it's a dual purpose. One, it's to get those creators some money, which is good. You know, I, I like that a lot. Uh, it's to get some of those older creators some some income. But also, you're right, it is playing to a a sense of, oh, whatever it is that's, that the magic of Marvel is not super present right now. So let's, you know, take a little from column A and a little from column B. And, and you know, something will emerge. I mean, we've all been – we're all old enough and we have collected long enough that we know it's cyclical and, you know, a new era will emerge soon – it's just it's odd to be in this inter you know this this between period and, and kind of watching saying like well that book's good but that one's not that line's strong but that one's not and not having a real just voice carrying the day it's, it it is odd it's it's the first time it's it's been that way in Marvel in, in quite a while yeah so it's probably a good time to switch over to DC now my feelings about DC at the moment are pretty positive like I feel. You know, DC's in a good place, and I, maybe that's just because it's been in such a terrible place since uh, the New 52 <laughs> overall. <laughs> but I, I feel like a lot of books are on the right track now, and uh, you know, I, I feel like they've got a, a better team of writers who are, are better served by what they're writing right now. So, um, Martin, what are your favourite DC books at the moment? There are, there are several, really. I mean, one of the ones that surprised me is Action Comics. I, mean, I enjoyed the mm-hmm. Then, then Bendis left, and the, currently it's great because Action Comics, it started when they had the, the Future States a couple of years ago. Uh, they had a special in which Superman was on War World in the future, and it was implied he'd been there for 10 years or something like that, freeing the slaves of alien warlord, good old Mongol. And he was drawn as one very sexy daddy in a loincloth, and that was that. <laughs> I didn't necessarily want that, that to become the future of the DC Universe, but then... The author of the issue, Philip Kennedy Johnson, he became the regular action comics writer, and I hoped he wasn't going there, but little by little, he did. He tied into the Grant Morrison, Mikhail Yanin, pardon me if I've butchered the name, Superman and the Authority miniseries, sent the gang to War World, and he's been doing some really impressive character work and world building since then. And he's hugely by the magnificent artwork of, first it was Daniel Samper, and now it's Ricardo Federici. And it seems evident that the storyline isn't going to go on as long as the Future State version implied it would, because there we have the decidedly old-looking Superman saying, basically, you've been there for years. Here, Superman began with some grey hair in a bit of continuity mangling connected to the authority <laughs> mini. I'm pretty confident that he'll have triumphed and be back on Earth by the end of the year, and DC will have a pretty great omnibus in prospect, mm-hmm. and his hair probably be back to black and blue by then. Have you chaps been reading? Yeah, I, I have been. I cannot remember the last time I loved Superman the way I, I mean, what it reminds me of, and this is going to date me, but it reminds me of the Exile arc, you know, by, oh, by yeah. Stern, yeah, Perez, that that great arc from the 80s. I, I Martin, it's funny, we're, we're of the same mind. I, I enjoyed the Bendis run. I thought it freshened the series up. I thought that it really needed a freshening up, but then it petered out. I, I I couldn't understand if they didn't give Bendis the chance to end it the way he wanted, but then from interviews it sounds like they did, and uh, you know the the ending was just sort of so abrupt for me that I was but leery. So many Bendis stories, he just doesn't seem to get his endings right. Yeah, and he he doesn't seem to have strong editors who sort of say you know we have to firm this up. I I completely agree, and so when that when that arc ended, when Bendis's run ended, 
I felt sort of jilted and I was like, well, I don't know that I trust this line anymore because I was so excited for Bendis and it didn't really do what I thought it needed to do. And I wasn't super familiar with Philip Kennedy Johnson, but I was like, oh, I'll I'll give it a couple issues. And it, it started off slow and I had the exact same impression. I was like, oh, I don't want future state dictating the course of the DC universe. And I definitely, you know, this is a slow burn of a book, but luckily I stuck with it. And, and I mean, I do think it's the best this book has been in decades and the focus on Clark as a character and, you know, this inspirational figure on Warworld without his powers, you know, it always makes it interesting when he's when you realize that the man is the is super, you know, that's the super part. And I just I can't I can't get over how much I love this book. It's the top of my reading pile every time it comes out. And and I, I know we'll probably get to this, but it's, you know, it's sister book, the Kal-El Son of Superman has been phenomenal as well. And and that was a. The aging of Jonathan Kent was something I despised when it happened. But, you know, this getting a Tom Taylor you know, book out of it has just been phenomenal. But I, I agree. And, Paul, what are your thoughts on this line? I'm a little bit behind on action comics because I'm reading it through DC Universe Infinite. Um, so I'm six months behind. But, uh, yeah, I, I am finding the direction intriguing. And, it, yeah, it is certainly reminiscent of Exile. Uh, I just like a moment of silence for all the uh, Clark Kent working at the Daily Planet fans. Um, <laughs> Michael well, no, Bailey, I, I'm, sorry. A, I'm a huge fan of that. I mean, I, I absolutely adored the way Ben just wrote the Daily Planet stuff, and that was wonderful. Me too. But, but this, you know, this is what we're getting at the moment, and I'm, I'm happy to go with it for a while. And I know that we're going to get a backup strip very when the when the surprisingly entertaining Martian Manhunter strip ends. We're going to get a, a few issues of the Planet stuff, I believe. And that really shows what's going on there. And but but for now, I mean, not having Clark at the planet, it's worthwhile to get what we're getting. I agree. And the art is uh, amazing in the book. It, you know, it's doing the whole uh, Frazetta style stuff at the mm-hmm. moment. And it just looks incredible. Yeah. All right. So Superman, uh, we'll leave, let's do a little Tom Taylor corner in a little in a few minutes. But um, let's move over to the Bat books. So um, Sean, I'm going to defer to you as the expert on the Bat books. Though I am, you know, I'm pretty up to date with. The bat uh, with Batman. I'm calling it the Batman because a movie just came out. But, uh, <laughs> that's uh, yeah. Tell us about where you think the Bat books are. I think that we're in a golden age of the Bat books. Now, I, I do want to preface by saying there is entirely too much Bat content right now. I know it's a big complaint for people that something like 45% of DC's line is Bat related, and I completely agree. Having said that, it is all really, really good. I mean, it is just the Batman book itself went from Tom King's run, which I loved, I, a little controversial, I know, but I loved, into James Tynan IV, which I think is one of the, the best runs of that book ever. And then Joshua Williamson picked it up for an arc, and then Chip Zdarsky's coming on. And it's been drawn by, like, Jorge Fornes and and all these – Jorge Molina, all these amazing artists. So that book has just been phenomenal. But what I've been most impressed by are the – the surrounding books as well. So I'm going to say up front, I hate Damian Wayne. I have always hated Damian Wayne. Tim Drake is my Robin. He's my favorite Robin ever. I bought all the Tim Drake books in the you know 80s and 90s. And, and there's a Robin book on the shelves, and it is Damian. It's written by Joshua Williamson and drawn by Gleb Melnikoff. And I bought it just because we, you know, Bill and I do this bat pod, and I was like, okay, we should buy it and just see what it is. And it is a blast. It is making me fall in love with Damien. It's a fun book, which I never thought I'd say about Damien Wayne. The art is super upbeat. Gleb Melnikoff is sort of a new age, like 
Scott Collins with maybe a little bit more anime influence, just very light and airy. And it's a it's a fantastic character study. It's giving him a great supporting cast. It ties into his lineage as an Al Ghul, but in a really fun way. And it's it's amazing. It's just really good. And then there have been a bunch of great Bat miniseries. There's Batman the Night by Chip Zdarsky and Carmine Dijon Domenico, which is phenomenal. Batman the Detective by Tom Taylor and Andy Kubert, which was really good. You know, Bat Girls is coming out, which is a really fun book. So the Bat line, and I know we'll talk about Nightwing when we get to our Tom Taylor corner, uh, which is the best written, drawn, and colored book on the planet. It's it's a really it's unbelievable. DC, where we said that Marvel is feeling kind of rudderless right now. I the opposite. I feel the opposite with DC coming out of. I mean, I I'm not going to talk about Dark Knight, Death Metal. I, I I read it and I couldn't tell you a single thing about it. I just don't understand it at all. But what I do like is coming out of it, DC seems to have recommitted to reinvigorating its line. I, I kind of I called it Shades of 87. It almost feels like those two years after Crisis where you weren't quite sure what was real and what wasn't, what was canon, what wasn't. And DC just let people run and let, you know, creators steer books. And it feels a little bit like that. It feels like the New 52 is finally in the past. And that we're coming into this new era. And, and I've, I haven't enjoyed DC this much since pre-2011. And, and the Bat books for me are at the center of that. Oh, so, Martin, what DC books would you like to talk about next? Well, I would like to talk about one book which actually does feature Damian Wayne. It's The Monkey Prince, which is by Jean, Jean Luen Yang writing and Bernard Chang drawing. And I haven't heard much chat about it, but it started off as... I think, I think the character was commissioned for the DC Asian American special that came out about a year ago. And there was a one-off 12 or 14 page strip in there, which I didn't enjoy very much because I didn't like the character. But we're now just two issues into the into the comic. And I'm, I'm really enjoying it. I mean, they've come up with a new Asian American hero spinning out of the folk tales about the Monkey King. I don't know whether, do you, did either of you ever see the old TV series, Monkey? Absolutely, yeah. Grew up on it. Oh, no. Uh-uh. It was a staple of our childhood because we'd, you'd have dinner, you'd watch Monkey, then you'd watch Doctor Who. And then uh, Monkey would end and you'd get the goodies instead for a season. <laughs> fun stuff, fun stuff. Well, uh, yeah, well, a lot, a lot of listeners who aren't from a Chinese background probably will know, will know the show, well, if they're of a certain vintage like myself and you, Paul. <laughs> and it was about, about it was about a journey undertaken by a monk and his divine guardians, one of whom was Big Z, the guy. And there was a Monkey Prince comic treats the story as DCU canon and extrapolates that the Monkey King had a son, Monkey Prince, and that is the Gotham schoolboy Marcus Shugel Shen. And he has no idea when we first meet him that he's from Godfrey Stock. And he also has no idea, intriguingly, that his terribly normal scientist parents are actually hench persons of the penguin. <laughs> uh, in his powers manifest when he meets the mysterious school's janitor, Mr. Zhu, and the appearance of a monkey-faced man gains the attention of school reporter Damien Wayne. Oh. Um, honestly, it's huge. I mean, the first issue ends with, with Monkey King. Well, in fact, no. Read the first issue. But it's huge fun. All school superheroics, and it somehow marries the ancient and modern to brilliant effect. Mm. The dialogue's slappy, the art's gorgeous. Think, think if you enjoy the, the vibe of the old Spider-Man slash Nova slash Firestorm, try this book. And there's a lovely wrinkle in that our hero really hates superheroes. I actually saw an interview with Yang and Chang, on a way, I love saying that, Yang and Chang, probably mispronouncing them both, called the appropriate website, and they mentioned that the approach to monkey prints is an attempted 
counter the negative representations of Asian Americans mm-hmm. and Asians generally baked into the DNA of US comic books from Detective Comics 1 through Chop Chop and the Black Hawks, Egg Fu in Wonder Woman, Marvel's Yellow Pole and beyond. Yeah. And as well as the writer and illustrator, there's got the colorist Sebastian Chang, veteran letterer Janice Chang, editor Jessica Chen, all of Asian Americans and they're all putting their background and knowledge into just doing some excellent work. I don't know if either of you have seen the comic. I've read the first issue and enjoyed it, but I thought I would, you know, wait for it to cycle through on DCU Internet. Um, yeah, but yeah, yeah, I feel like Genuine uh, Yang is a really good writer, but I don't think he's always served by where he ends up writing. Um, but I think Superman Smashes the Clan was amazing, um, yes. and I wanted to see more like that, um, and less like his, you know, regular run on Superman or action. I think it was Superman, yeah, where it was he felt like he was uh, constricted by being forced to adhere to someone else's continuity of things. So, did you read New Superman that he did? No, I never read New Superman. That was a fun the book. Channel, that was a lot of. A lot of fun. That was the, the book that introduced the the Flash of China Avery, who's in the Justice League Incarnate now. Mm-hmm. But it, it's well worth a look. But have you seen Monkey Prince then, Sean? I have. Yeah, I, I I did. I checked out the like Paul. I checked out the first issue, and I really liked it. I thought it was fun, and I, I'm a, I'm a fan of of Jean Lun Yang's. I actually had when I was still teaching, when I was still in the classroom, I should say, I have you know a classroom library like many teachers do, and I had American born Chinese in, in yeah. my classroom library, which was the graphic novel that kind of put him on the map. And I actually got in trouble uh, or, or almost got in trouble. I had a kid check it out and the parents called and raised a big fuss at the school about it being this, this racist book. And I, I had them come in to meet with me and I'm like, it's Jin Lun Yang. It's and like, and it's, it won hear the list of awards. It's won. And like, what are you talking about? And finally I got them to see and what walked them through the point of the book. But I, I've always had a special place in my heart for him because I had to defend him from being basically banned from a school. <laughs> well, well done, honestly. Thank it's you. Ridiculous. Yeah, that's part of being a teacher in America sometimes. But it's uh, yeah, I, I really liked his new Superman book a lot. I thought that was really fun. And then I I have picked up Monkey Prince and and I I've liked what I've read. Mm. <laughs> Even better because it's heavy on the Damien. You love it. <laughs> All right, let's talk about the Titans and why DC should just give up on the Titans. Oof. <laughs> <laughs> right, we've covered that topic. <laughs> no, I mean, they, they had a very good Titans book in the last few years with with a bunch, a bunch of interesting new characters, and you know, including Crush, Crush the daughter of Lobo, and uh, that bouncing boy type whose name I never remember. But they then they brought out this Teen Titans Academy, and suddenly, just the very idea that the the, the regular grown-up Titans would suddenly be interested in running a school for super kids when they've had so many kids die under them already. And <laughs> some have teaching licenses, teaching certificates, and it's obsessed with this Red X character that was in the, one of the cartoons that I never saw. And every couple of issues, you'll get a char- an issue focusing on, on some of the actual new, new pupil characters that have been created for the book, like, you know, Gorilla Greg and Stitch, this training magician who's who's like a non you know a non-gender specific mannequin they're really good issues and then you'll get like four issues of red x and the senior titans being absolutely stupid sorry guys you know this sorry yeah no it's true it's true there i i feel like whenever you have a titans book it always seems to be I don't know. It attracts the worst impulses of the DC universe at the time. Like, it, <laughs> yeah, like it doesn't have a reason for being. Like, 
you know, the, the original Titans aren't teachers, you know, and they never yeah. really... I mean, when you look at their stories closely, they never really had their act together in a way that they should, you know, influence anyone else ever. Yeah. Sean, what are your thoughts? I struggle with it because, uh, you know, obviously the Teen Titans has a special place in my heart, like like probably, you know, all three of us. The Wolfman Perez run, you know, imprinted on me, and I loved the Jeff Johns, Mike McCone, you know, run later on. And I just, some of my favorite comics ever are Teen Titan comics, but I, I can't disagree with you. There's just no reason for it to exist and it and it's it always runs into trouble because it wants to be the Wolfman Perez run again. So it feels like it needs those characters, but they're not teens anymore. And then it feels like it needs a teen run, you know, role, but that doesn't really mix with the older characters. And so I really my favorite version of Teen Titans over the last twenty something years has just been Young Justice. You know, it's it's been like a, I think that book took the need for a Teen Titans book away. And so I wish DC would just kind of stay in that place. But I, I picked up Titans. I picked up, I think, two issues of Titans Academy and saw the writing on the wall. And I was like, nope, I, I wasn't this interested in Red X and the cartoon. I'm certainly not that interested in the comic. Yeah. Uh, I, I think quantum on a quantum level, you can't have Young Justice and Teen Titans in the same universe at the same time. Uh-huh. They cancel each other out. Yeah, so I just wish they'd stick with Young Justice and Me too. Know, go with a book which has a bit more flair and fun to it. Um yeah, but yeah. Anyway, it's it's interesting. I, I mean, I'm going to condemn the Suicide Squad corner. I mean, I think Suicide Squad. I I adore the John Ostrander Suicide Squad. Like mm-hmm. it's yep. top three comics of all time. And um, yeah, and I think no one's ever recaptured that magic. And the Suicide Squad, due to um, movies and things, has become something else completely. Um, and yeah, I I just wish they'd leave it alone for a bit. Like you know, you've got a Harley Quinn comic. You you can do things with all the characters if you want. Uh, the exception would be uh, Tom Taylor's Suicide Squad yeah. because that did something new and different and didn't you know retread old ground in an inferior way. So yeah, so I I think Suicide Squad is kind of tired and they should just let it rest. Uh, do something new. If you want to do something crazy, then, you know, do a Peacemaker comic and, you know, give him some of the supporting cast from the TV show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, the great shame of DC of the last few years is that they they shortcutted that Tom Taylor, Bruno Redondo Suicide Squad run because all those new characters they created were fascinating. They had an interesting mission. They were subverting the whole Suicide Squad premise and then to cut it short at 10 issues was just astounding. I, I mean, I'm okay that they did because we got Nightwing out of it, but I really wish they hadn't because it was the most I had enjoyed Suicide Squad since Ostrander. Well, interestingly, I talked to Tom Taylor at a, a convention and he, he said it ended where he wanted it to. He wasn't, oh. it wasn't cut off, but there was plans to do a Revolutionaries comic afterwards. Oh, okay. So, which may still be on the cards. So Ooh, basically it was morphing it into a new idea rather than just the same old, same old. Hopefully that will happen because I'm, you know, that was just a brilliant little series, great characters. I look forward to seeing more of them. And you know, obviously they're popping up in Son of Superman at the moment, Superman Junior. And let's have more of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
And the weird thing about comics at the moment is first appearances can become super lucrative to own. And I think that Suicide Squad number one by Tom Taylor, that is a sleeper book. That will be worth mm-hmm. a fortune one day because it introduces so many characters with so much potential. And I think they've got a long history coming um, that, you know, that'll be where it all started. Yeah. So uh, let's talk um, about some of the little books of DC. Like One of the things I like about DC is they're not... Um, Apart from Batman, they're not over oversaturating. So there's there's one Flash book at the moment. There's one Green Lantern book. I think uh, the Flash book in particular is one of my favourite at the moment. I think it's you know one of the top five books of DC right now. So uh, are you both fans, Martin? Are you a fan? I'm certainly a fan. I mean, after the hell of Heroes in Crisis, I thought Wally West was ruined forever. I mean, Tom King made him an unstable soul. He framed his pals to cover up a terrible accident, but happily. And surprisingly, the other writers so quickly undid that rubbish. And he got his own series back. And for the last year, it's just been a monthly treat. I mean, I don't know where Jeremy Adams came from, but he began with a great time travel story, continued with a spend the Eclipso epic. And he's managing to give us what even someone as superb as Mark Wade didn't manage. And he's giving us a functioning Flash family in the sense of, you know, Lin, Linda and the kids, Jai and Irie, by spotlighting them one at a time and, you know, making us like them. And it's just absolute wonderful book every month with, you know, we've had several artists, but the artists are always great. I mean, the only issue that hasn't been absolutely stellar was the latest one, which tied in with this Crisis on Earth 3 yeah. Suicide Squad. But other than that, I mean, hopefully you chaps are enjoying it too. It, it's my favorite book. It, or one of my favorite books from DC. Actually, one of my favorite books at all right now. Uh, I'm going to say something that is going to sound ridiculously <laughs> sentimental, but I, I feel like this is a safe space. Uh, reading the reading Jeremy Adams and and I think Fernando Passarin is one of the main artists. I really like his work. Reading that flash book is like reconnecting with an old friend. I feel like I had this really great friend in Wally West. You know, he was my flash and I did collect Barry Allen books. You know, I, I've collected long enough that I have you know, a lot of the trial. I was clicking the trial of the flash, which was going on for, I think the entire seventies and eighties. And I, you know, I have all that. <laughs> book, and I, it, it felt that way. And then Wally West was my flash and I, you know, I loved, I have every issue of that run. I love him. And for him to have just disappeared, you know, new 52 for me pushed me out because of Wally and Tim Drake and you just, these you know, Connor Hawk, some of my favorite characters just being completely gone. And I never thought, especially, and, and I defended heroes in crisis uh, probably a little too much, but I defended it on a DCOCD ep- episode. I could kind of see where King was, you know, I could see where King was going, but I didn't think Wally would ever be back the way I didn't know if he could ever be back the way I wanted him. Cause I thought, well, that's nostalgia goggles. And then the Jeremy Adams book came out and I went, Oh, he, not only is he still here, it's still the same flavor. It's fun. It's family. I mean, I would, I guess I would compare it to the Dan Slott fantastic four book in, in a way, yeah. you know, that it's really family centric and it's really uplifting. It's this, this kind of shining light, which is what the flash should be. It shouldn't be a dark book. And I love it so much, and I am I am consistently worried that they're going to bring Barry back and end it. Not that I don't like like Barry Allen. I just want them to keep Wally as the Flash and just figure something out, out else out with Barry. He can be the Flash as well, but just don't lose Wally and the family from the book. What about you, Paul? Yeah, I, I love it. Um, it's absolutely a joy to read, and it, it really does capture... I mean, one of the things... I've, I've been rereading the start of Mark Wade's run, and one of the things he did was sort of redefine... Wally in a way that made him much more likeable and then he just started bringing in more and more supporting 
speedsters, and it looks like Jeremy Adams is doing the same thing. Is you know he's all right said no one likes whiny central characters and uh, you know mm. that should be written on the wall of every de- uh, every big <laughs> publisher because you know what who wants to read about a hero who's got superpowers and is unhappy you know mm-hmm. uh, you know make them unhappy give them challenges but don't make them unhappy all the time and i i think jeremy adams gets that and he he gets what's the joy of having speed and you know i just love a really you know happy functional um, Wally with a good family around him and now he's bringing in the Flash family as well we're getting covers with um, the new Kid Flash, I'm still going to call him new and we've had Jay Garrick as a supporting character as mm-hmm. well and you know, just having heroes supporting each other is such a nice concept the fact that Mr Terrific gave Wally a job and said you know, come and go as you need I know you're a superhero, it's cool <laughs> and you know, it's not a source of angst The animal man is Wally's neighbour, isn't he? So he hasn't been in the book yet, but Maxine's been in there, Animal Max, so... Yeah, yeah, and it looks like we could get back the Animal Man who's not miserable as well. (laughs) Yeah. That could be exciting. Um, But, I mean, I think uh, Jeremy Adams has his hand in some... Like, yeah, I think he's written some screenplays for some of the DC animated. Um, So he's got a, a hand in a few other places, but I'd love to see him do more if he has capacity if it doesn't you know damage his work on the flash yeah the first thing i saw by jeremy adams was actually a two-part and i think it was the suicide squad future state special and it was basically justice league one million and black adam in the future yeah it was just a, a cracking little two or two story yeah i think that was probably my favorite part of future state the whole thing mm-hmm those two issues yeah now let's talk all right we mentioned tom king let's talk about tom king now tom king i see him as one of dc's premier creators um Mm -hmm. but he is outside of the central continuity at this point so um sean do you want to have a chat about what you like about tom king and stuff (laughs) yes yeah i'm I'm sort of a notorious tom king apologist I, i really do love his work and I, I, but I also understand what people don't love about him. So I, to, you know, to be fair, I think Tom King has found his, his correct place, his niche in comic book writing. I, I you know, he did this really long Batman run and it, it's my favorite Batman run in years and I love it. There are high points and there are, you know, a couple low points, but overwhelmingly, I think it's really good. But I think the, the feedback he got and sort of the vitriol from some of it, you know, a lot of it was editorial, but still the vitriol he got from some of it. I think turned him off of doing a regular monthly book, at least, you know, at the, at this point and what he's really, really settled into are these 12 issue maxi series, you know, which he's done along the way, you know, he did the vision at Marvel, which was brilliant. People slept on his Omega men maxi series with Barnaby Bagenda from the mid two thousands, which is brilliant. I think to this day is probably his best work. And he said, you know, okay, this is where I'm planting my flag. I'm going to do these, Maybe in, maybe out of continuity, 12-issue series. Sometimes they're very obviously out of continuity. Sometimes they could work either way. And I think he's found his voice, and he works with a certain group of artists like you know Mitch Gerads or Clay Mann or Jorge Fornes, and he just takes on whatever characters kind of strike his fancy. And and I think they have been, in my for me, I, I won't speak for everybody, obviously, but for me, they've been my favorite things coming out of D.C., over the last five years. And it's also, I think, what DC historically has always done well, which is these evergreen stories that reach higher heights than Marvel. But Marvel does month-to-month books much better than DC historically. And so, you know, a couple I would highlight, you know, obviously Mr. Miracle was, you know, the most famous. For me, it's one of the the 
best treatises on depression and overcoming depression I've ever read. It's really it it really spoke to me on a, a pretty primal level. And then uh, his Rorschach 12 issue series with Jorge Fornes. I was not predisposed to like that. I don't think the Watchmen universe should be touched or revisited in any way. I think it needs to just stay where it is, even though the HBO series was brilliant. And this book is really set in the HBO series, that spirit of it. And it ended up being this really fun, all the president's men style 70s boilerplate cop mystery that I ended up really enjoying, you know, set in the Watchmen universe. But it was more about this this mystery. And then I know this is going to be controversial, especially on this call. I don't think everybody on this call loves it, but I am mainlining his human target miniseries. The Greg Smallwood arc is or art is brilliant. It's beautiful. The coloring is gorgeous. It feels like reading Mad Men, you know, the comic. And it's um, I just I'm really loving it. I see it as out of continuity, so I'm not really it's not spoiling the Blahaha League for me, but I get that it could be not everybody's favorite. So so I, I, I I'm ready to hear the, the counterpoints, but I do love his his 12 issue maxi series. And I'm excited to see sort of what character gets to go next. Um, Man, uh, speaking for the rebuttal. I didn't sleep on Dormy. I, mean, I, <laughs> I read it as it came out. I was in my praise of it. I really enjoyed that. And I really enjoyed Tom King's Vision series over at Marvel. And then by the time he's writing things like Adam's, no, Mr. Miracle, which I, I, I got through, um, you know, is interesting read but made me quite sad then he starts doing adam strange and it quickly became clear that it was going to be more on ptsd and a hero with clear feet and of course we had heroes in crisis which was depressing again and rorschach not really into all the president's men vibe but then when he's when he's when he turned to supergirl and (laughs) i don't care whether it's in continuity or not it's still the name and image and pretty much background of Supergirl and he's got Supergirl going through the universe. It's not even, she's not even the central character in the story, but when she is there, she's doing things like taking this little girl from True Grit to a stoning and uh, just just doing all, get, you know, getting drunk, swearing the whole time. Why, you know, why crap on my characters like that? And I, I know that's fanboy entitlement, but, you know, I've known, you know, I've read Supergirl stories going back 60 years, and there's this is nothing like any version or any extrapolation of Supergirl I could ever see. And then I started reading Human Target, got five issues in, I just dropped off because I just I thought this is just going to make me more and more annoyed. And having heard about it, <laughs> so I think Tom Taylor is very, very talented, a good writer, great at what he does. Tom he King. just keeps doing the same thing. Tom King, sorry, pardon me, Tom Taylor, I did it again. Sorry, <laughs> Tom King is great at what he does, but what he does, he just seems to be doing the same thing again and again, which is just making me sad and depressed and angry. So I'm just keeping away from Tom King for a while, I think. Yeah, I, I can see that. I So I, I will say this. Uh, there is a... Uh, <laughs> without Without being... There's, I have a depressive streak. There's a there's a, a piece in me that responds to art that hits you know a certain emotional note, and and I and it can be too much you know and it can be you know if it's all of that it can be too much. That's why I love a book like The Flash that's really happy and and or Fantastic Four that balances it well. King's writing, like I said, just speaks to me, and it's funny because I reacted so differently to that Supergirl book than than a lot of the people in our our little community. Because for me, I was like, oh, this is all about 
how transcendent a hero she is. And by writing it in this other character's voice, you're getting to see that she's this this huge inspiration and the art, you know, Bilquis, Evely's art is beautiful. And, and I, I read it as such a hopeful book and I kept reading online people being like, Oh, this is so dark and depressing. And I'm like, Oh, this is saying more about me than it is about Tom King. <laughs> but but he's, he's right. He's writing lines in it. And okay. On the one hand, you could say that, uh, the, you know, the character Ruthie was an unreliable narrator. In fact, she pretty much is at the end, but then again, he's still putting in into print things like, you know, I believe she lived a life in pain. And yes, it's her saying, I believe she lived a life in pain. But it's sure at the same time, you know, Supergirl fetal within a, you know, fetal within a son screaming. It's just, Supergirl is, you know, hope, help and compassion for all. Yeah, she's yes. not a girl, she's not a young woman who has to go into space on her 21st birthday to get, you know, under a red sun so she can get drunk with... She, He's not someone who has no one to celebrate with. I, just this from the starting point, it's not Supergirl. <laughs> no. I, and I can see that. I, I, and I wish there were a current Supergirl book that was balancing that out. I wish there was a happy, you know, Sterling Gates Supergirl book to balance that out. Because I think that would be better. Yeah. I, I'll close off the Tom King thing by just giving my opinion. I think Tom King is a really gifted writer. He's very clever. He's ambitious in the way he wants to tell a story. Um, but I would say that his biggest failing is that he has a story in mind and then he picks DC characters and squeezes them into yes. it. Um, yes. Whereas I don't think he picks up the character and goes, what's the best story for this character and tells it. And I don't think he respects history or continuity with characters. Like, I think he likes to... Um, like, Grant Morrison always said, you know, if you're on a regular title, your obligation is to tell a really good, interesting story and then leave the character in a good place for someone to pick up and carry on with. Whereas I think Tom Taylor... Uh, golly, we're all doing it. Um, Tom King basically breaks characters in such a way that people either have to repair what he did or ignore it. Um, and, you know, no, his Adam Strange story, no one's going to stick with that take on Adam Strange because it breaks the character. It says everything you knew about the character was wrong and he's unusable now. So in a way, I wish he was doing stories along the lines of what uh, Alan Moore was forced to do with Watchmen, was create analogues and tell these stories in a way that doesn't damage the original. I mean, everyone loves Watchmen, but I don't think Watchmen would have been a good take on Blue Beetle or Peacemaker or anything like that. It would have basically ruined those characters and what we liked about them before that. Um, So... Well, for those of us who are super old. But yeah, but I, I think Tom basically picks action figures out of the box and snaps their legs off, and then no one can use them afterwards unless yeah. they do some incredible acrobatics like uh, Jeremy Adams had to do for uh, to fix mm-hmm. Heroes in Crisis. So I think I think he's a really good writer, but I think he's outside of continuity, and I want him to stay there. And yeah, I mean, Human Target looks incredible, reads beautifully, but... If you you know love the Wahaha League, it's infuriating because it's it's basically an alternate take on that that you know makes them all you know flawed and kind of horrible. And you know, yeah, Guy Gardner is a horrible bully character, but in a humor context, you can you know that's palatable. Um, but you can't have that in a serious context because then it's you know it's heinous. You know, he's yeah. He's going to be a wife basher and things like that. So, yeah, anyway, l- let's move on from uh, Tom King. 
And let's look at Tom Taylor, which uh, who I think is probably the best writer in comics at the moment, and Australian. Yep. So you know, obviously, I get some of that <laughs> reflect, reflected glory. Yeah, he's just signed exclusive with DC. Now, I talked to him at a convention last year, and he said he had no interest in signing exclusive because the way he was working was he gets the best of both worlds with DC and Marvel. He can do a, star, a Spider-Man story, he can do these Batman stories and things like that. But obviously, they must have thrown enough money at him. <laughs> to make him rethink that stance. So what do we think about Tom Taylor's books? So, Sean, you can go first. Oh, I love him. I, I agree with you. He's the best. He, un, I mean, unabashedly the best writer in comics right now. He, it's funny because he has two forces that seem to pull at him. He likes to do these kind of evergreen, standalone, like Deceased or um, Knights of Steel, you know, those Dark Ages, those miniseries. And, and I enjoy those. But I actually enjoy him much more on a regular book. You know, I, I, he's my, probably my favorite monthly writer. And, uh, you know, two of his books, especially right now, are singing for me. Nightwing is one of my all-time favorite characters. He's probably top three. I love Dick Grayson. I've always loved Dick Grayson. You know, it's it's just he's a, the ultimate big brother, I think, is what people have called him in the past. And so I've always collected Nightwing through good and, and through bad. And prior to... The you know at coming of of Taylor and Redondo, Nightwing was going through this editorially enforced Rick Grayson era uh-huh. where he was just a completely different character. And I don't blame the creative team because the writer of the book was Dan Jurgens, who's one of the great creators of all time. But you know editorially driven, really poor decision, just different character. I, I couldn't stand it. I dropped the book for the first time in years, and I was like, well, I don't know that I'll ever go back to this character because it doesn't seem like DC really knows what to do with them. And then one issue in <laughs> with with Taylor Redondo, and, and I want to give Adriana Lucas on colors a huge shout out because it, it is the best colored book on the stands. It's gorgeous. And I was like, oh, yeah, this is Dick Grayson. This is a Dick Grayson I love. Two issues in, I was already saying it was the best Nightwing run, <laughs> run ever, and I haven't changed my mind since then. It's a gorgeous book. Redondo and, and Lucas are taking really fun chances with art. A couple of issues ago, it was just one big side scrolling. The entire issue was all double page splash pages of Dick being chased through Bloodhaven and then meeting up with Babs and then them going after the bad guy. And it was like a playing like a side scrolling video game. It was great. And it's a fun book. It focuses as much on Dick Grayson as it does on Nightwing. Taylor immediately put Dick and Barbara back together, which I love. And it's just this upbeat take, which is what Dick Grayson should be. He should be he should be. There's a reason Robin was yellow and red and bright and shiny. And Dick Grayson should have that while still having really great, compelling stories. And so I love Tom Taylor. He could I mean, he could tell me he's writing the new Angel Love series and I would be there. You know, I'd be there for the first issue and, and I'd be there all the way through. So he, he is my favorite writer right now. What about you guys? I really, really enjoy Tom Taylor too, and I think he wouldn't get Angel Love because they'd give it to Tom King, and he'd have a die of a drug overdose on page one. <laughs> <laughs> a treatise on cocaine addiction. Yes, <laughs> and he'd be depressed. Anyway, but yeah, I really, I really enjoy Tom Taylor. I love. I mean, you said it all, honestly, Sean. His his Nightwing is just such a wonderful, wonderful look at one of DC's best best characters, DC's probably sanest character. He's gone through so much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Tom Tom Taylor writes him as yeah, the big brother, the totally centered chap. I just feel relaxed when I read a, a dick storyline by him and Bruno Redondo. Every whatever happened, you know, you might have, you know, 
as in the latest issue, you know, people firing, you know, big missiles at his building. But I didn't for a second worry that anyone was going to die because I thought, you know, this is Dick's building, Dick's in charge. And that's not to say I don't think terrible things can happen to the city, but I just, it's just such a lovely, lovely comfort read. Dick, Dick knows what he's doing. He, you know, we literally saw him as the big brother when he guest starred with, with well, when he crossed over with Superman, Superman John recently. Mm-hmm. Loved, loved the relationship with Barbara. Absolutely adored the team up with his best pal Wally in the latest issue. And it was really, really enjoying Nightwing. As for, I still have to call him, I think him Superman Jr., which I think wouldn't be so bad a title. But I think DC would find that, you know, if they called it that, they would think that we would think they weren't serious about him being the new Superman. But no one really would surely believe he's going to stay Superman anyway. So just call him Superman Jr. But I enjoy some of the character work. But I, I, I've been following John's stories all along, and I know he spent years, which is a horrible thing for Brian Bendis to have done to him, mm-hmm. spent years in a, in a volcano being mentally abused at the very least by Ultraman, and that's going to affect him. But I just I just miss, again, if, if they have to age him up, fine, they've done that. But I just wish there was a little more of the sparky, fun John there. And obviously it's more realistic that he is a bit, a bit more morose, but he doesn't seem to have the brains that he had when he was a kid in this, in this book. He just seems to be sort of led along the whole time by Jay, who I'm the boyfriend who I'm convinced is a super villain. He <laughs> <laughs> you know, doesn't know what to do. You know, it's, like, it's as if Superman's all Superman's regular villains, because Superman's off Earth, have just decided we won't bother attacking Metropolis anymore. We'll give young John time to focus on 1970s relevant stories uh, <laughs> and as a, as a newspaper journalist i find it you know very very personally upsetting and offensive that uh, it seems to be pushing the idea that this citizen journalism bit on a telephone is of equal value to news reports and people who are actually trained experienced understand the law and that context whereas i just think I just, I'm waiting for the other shoe to drop. I don't, I don't, it doesn't, it doesn't feel like John's a proper character with, you know, with, with enough agency. It just feels like not quite that, he, that he's not the star of the book, not in the way that Ruthie was, you know, in charge of Supergirl's book, but it just doesn't feel like he's driving the book. It feels like he's just at the whims of others. The art's, the art's been great by John Timms and now by Anki and Tommy. And again, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of Tom Taylor, but I'm just not feeling the book. I, I actually really like it. I think it's. Mm-hmm. I think one of the things that everyone goes on about Tom Taylor being politically correct, but I actually think he he writes people who are kind. Um, mm-hmm. They're kind to all types of people. They're kind to villains and kind to heroes, and they're you know they're trying to change things by being kind. And I think that is a super thing to read and really enjoyable. Yeah. I think it's harder to do as well. I think it's one of the things I've really liked. I, I was really upset when they aged John up, and I was really upset about the five years, you know, in Earth three. And, and I'm hoping Taylor has a time travel story where maybe when Ultraman wasn't in the volcano, John got to go away and, and have a more pleasant life. But one of the things I really I think is very difficult is to write a, a hero who comes from a place of best intent and who doesn't make trope based assumptions and so i think about that first issue of, of son of, of superman where there's that man on fire and he's you know burning the forest and the military wants to put him down 
And John just flies in instead of, you know, punching him or anything. He just says, who are you? What's going on? Oh, you're clearly scared. Let me help you. And it reminds me of the thing I loved, though this was more of a humor book. I really loved The Unbeatable Squirrel Girl by Ryan North and Erica Henderson. And one of the things I loved about that book is she would approach every encounter from a place of like, what do you need? What's happening? How can I help? And it, and it was just such a fresh kind of take. And I like that about John. And then John reminds me of students I taught. He reminds me of this generation. I think Taylor's captured that where it really is about, hey, we understand that there are bigger systems here and those are maybe causing you to do some things. Let's treat this as a human problem and let's see where we can go from there. And John is both really interesting in that and also in some ways really naive like like martin said he's being led along i think by you know henry bendix coming in from the wildstorm universe and 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 i think that piece i like because i was a fan of that you know the authority in wildcats so i i really like the book i like his kindness i do like his relationship though i i like martin i fear it's a faint i hope it's not but i do like him you know at least finding love i love that moment where they run into damien and damien pulls him aside and he says, hey, what's the story with you and this guy? And, and he's like, what do you mean? He's like, John, I'm your best friend. I, I know when you're happy. And I was like, oh, that was such a good line. So I, I really I've enjoyed it much more than I thought I would. You know, and, and it's I think it's a nice partner to the, the Philip Kennedy Johnson action book, which is very visceral. And this one's a bit more heart driven. So I like the pair a lot. All right. I want to switch right now and. One of the things I like about DC at the moment is it uh, it sort of has a very healthy Elseworlds thing going on. So, uh, mm-hmm. Martin, are you reading any of these, uh, you know, DC versus Vampires, um, Dark Knights of Steel and Deceased? Have you read any of those, Martin? I've started, uh, yeah, I've, I've, I've read uh, all those. I've read the Tom Taylor Injustice and I've read, loved that. And I read Tom, Tom Taylor's uh, Deceased. That was brilliant. I read the first couple of issues of Dark Knights of Steel and... It didn't quite capture me because whereas his previous two alternate world takes were pretty much from the starting point of the regular DC universe here and now, whereas Dark Knights of Steel seems like a straight down the line Elseworlds, where it's, you know it's maybe the same names, people have the same powers, but it seems to be well from where I, from where I left off in issue two, it seems to be just you know set either either about a thousand years ago or fifteen hundred years ago or on a world that was seemed to be medieval, whereas I didn't quite relate to the characters in the same way, so I, I jumped off that. But uh, I'm on the I'm on the current DC versus Vampires, and from the excellent logo by Darren Robinson, <laughs> always, I mean that's such a clever logo. I'm just I'm enjoying that hugely. It's very it's very much in the in the DC mould, DC. But uh, it's again it just surprises, and the artwork's wonderful. So that, that's that's great. That's that's who's that by? That's by is that by James 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 the Fourth and is it Matt Rosenberg? I, I believe so. Yeah, James Tynion the Fourth has actually left DC. He's gone to Substack. Yeah, yeah. And so I think Rosenberg took on a lot of his assignments, and so I, I do think it's Rosenberg. And I, I'm I'm really enjoying the. I like them playing around with it. They're, it's not always my favorite. Like I like you, Dark Knights of Steel didn't didn't sing for me, but I did like Deceased. I thought it was a fun sort of zombie, you know, style take. And I like where it went. And, you know, I, I also see them as very finite. Sometimes I think DC, because of the success of them, will continue them longer than their lifespan. And, and sometimes they're right. I mean, that obviously proved very successful with Injustice. But the deceased sort of side universe, 
I got the first mini and then I got the first, you know, couple issues of the next arc. And I was like, oh, no, I'm, I'm good. Like, I think I've, you know, it was a fun little side story, but I don't necessarily, you know, need to continue it long term. Uh, I, but I do like they are, they, that they are at least making the the offering because I like those. Yeah. And are you, Martin, do you read the like the one off specials like, you know, the Valentine one or the, the holiday ones that they're, they've been doing lately? Oh, they drive me mad because, you know, whenever they come out, the 80 page giants, I can't stop myself buying them and then blogging about <laughs> them. And the, the, of any blog reviews I do, they're the ones that take the longest. But because the books aren't, don't actually seem that popular, you know, <laughs> I don't get much, you know, much, much of a response to them. And it's, it's the interaction that I enjoy in the, in the blogging. But, uh, yeah, the, the giants, there's occasionally some, some good stuff in there, but I mean, this feeds into into one of the things that I think is perhaps not quite could perhaps do with a bit of adjustment at DC because on and Marvel, because on the one hand, I think it's absolutely brilliant, you know, that oh, let's use the phrase as a gay man, I think it's absolutely brilliant that they are you know trying really really hard and sincerely to be more diverse in mm-hmm. in an audience as well, you know, whether that be LGBT or from you know diff, different cultural and racial backgrounds and I always, you know, I always buy them. I always support them. You know, whether it's Marvel Voices or DC Pride specials or whatever. And on the one hand, it's it's great that they're seeking new writers, and it's entirely understandable that they want to have an authentic voice in there, so they'll get new writers from you know from you know backgrounds that perhaps match you know match the the books, match the audience they're trying to reach. But a lot of the time, it seems that the writers that they get are not quite ready for prime time, mm-hmm. and. These, these days, you know, there are some good editors and comics, but a lot of the young editors aren't necessarily in a position to, and maybe it's because it's just so blum and overworked, to sort of work with the writers to shape the stories in such a way as to do the writers and the characters justice. And also when when they create new characters or bringing in new characters who, you know, it's like you find, you find a character who's, who's gay or who's Native American and there might not be a character who's had a lot of developments and they don't have the chance to do much with them in eight pages and so you know you'll end up like with with a story about you know a flash who you know a flash who's uh, non-binary but we don't really know anything about them apart from that. Mm-hmm. In fact, Ivan Cohen's going to bring that flashback soon, and we'll hopefully find out more about them. The new the new Jess Quick, but I don't know. I mean, am I being too hard on these stories? I, I don't think so. I, I like them, like you said. I, I love the intent of them, and I also like them as a vehicle for newer creators to get a chance to you know in a low stakes environment, you know, feel out what their voice is going to be. It reminds me of like the DC sampler or what was the, the showcase that remember in the eighties okay. new mm. talent showcase, new talent showcase. Yeah. It reminds me kind of that, or, you know, maybe a, a Marvel tryout book kind of idea and some great, you know, like Stephanie Phillips came out of those Marvel vo- or those DC pride and, and DC or Marvel voices comics. She's the one uh, person writing, Harley Quinn and I really like her work. Her, the, it's funny I'm not a Harley Quinn fan. I'm basically, kind of like Venom and Deadpool, I've never re- I've never bought a Harley Quinn book, but I, I really really enjoyed her two part Future State Harley Quinn story to the point where I bought the Harley Quinn book when she took it on. And so I, I like when new creators emerge. But I do agree with you. It's such a hodgepodge. It's such a mixed bag of, of like you said, not ready for prime time players, but maybe some where you can see what's coming. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah, but it's a big price tag too. You know, that's that's the part that's hard. Is it's it is you know those aren't cheap books. But like you, I I always support them as well because I just I like the the expanding of 
of the voices of, you know, within comics. And, and you just never know. It's really funny. You never know where somebody's going to come. You know, like I, I've read comics when they've, they've had authors, really famous authors come in and take over a book. And it's just a disaster because the person clearly doesn't understand the medium. But then I've also read, like, I really love Rainbow Rowell. I love her, her books. And then she did a Runaways book at Marvel that I love. And she's writing She-Hulk now. And I think it's a really fun book. So I, you know, I think sometimes Victor Laval too on Sabretooth, you know, he's a big, big author and, and he came in just immediately. So it's just, it's nice to see them pulling talent from different places. And, you know, I think in the big picture, that's healthy. But but yeah, it is a mixed bag sometime in those in those specials. Yeah, but happily with, with the mixed bag, you sometimes get some real gems. Like in in the recent Strange Love Adventures, there was an absolute cracking Sergeant Rock story on Dinosaur Island. Uh huh. Yeah, yeah. All right, I think we're 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 going very long, so I kind of want to do a little lightning round. So let's limit ourselves to one or two sentences about what we think these creators have done at DC and where they're. Uh, how ascendant they are. So let's do uh, Brian Michael Bender. So Martin, two lines. Very, very good at the talky dialogue stories. Not so great <laughs> at plotting or wrapping up stories, but he's just such a lovely man. I just enjoy buying yeah. his book. Yeah. Sean? I agree. He is really good for creators and the industry. He elevates people. He elevates voices. His Naomi book was great. And I love that he set up the Wonder Comics line because Wonder Twins and Dial H for Hero were delightful. But but his struggles as a writer are more apparent now than they've ever been. I, I feel like he, he came into DC as uh, going to be a, a saviour and I don't think he ever got the chance due to it being crowded with um, Scott Snyders and Jeff Johns and things like that mm-hmm. at the time. So, yeah, just moving on from that. All right, um, James Tinian, the fourth. <laughs> Sean. Brilliant. But my one of my favorite writers, you know, came out of the the Scott Snyder sort of school, you know, the, where he was helping train up you new young writers. I love his Batman run. I've loved, you know, his horror books are fantastic. I think he's one of the the stronger voices in comics. I'm upset that he went to Substack just because I'm old and I don't really know how to use Substack. <laughs> Martin? James Tinian makes me feel like a total hypocrite because I spent years saying I wish people would invent new supervillains. James Tinian comes along, invents loads of new supervillains, and I stopped reading the Batman books. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I actually think he's he's a great creator. I, I was pretty unimpressed with his stuff when he was sort of like um, Scott Snyder's sidekick, but I think he really came into his own when he started his Batman run, and of mm-hmm. course all his outside of DC and Marvel stuff has been tremendous. But I, I do think he's sort of he's off doing his own thing now, and I don't think he's um, influencing the DC universe at all. So uh, that brings us to Jeff Johns. Now I think Jeff Johns is too busy to be Jeff Johns right now in the comics. So uh, mm-hmm. he's yeah, I feel like he's. I mean, Doomsday Clock wasn't what anyone expected. I saw a preview of Flashpoint Beyond, and it's a sequel to Doomsday Clock more than a sequel to Flashpoint, as far as I can tell. So uh, that's interesting, but I don't think he's going to be driving the direction of anything at the moment. Sean, what are are your thoughts? I love Johns as a legacy creator. I I think he gets a bum rap because I think he helped define DC in in the early 2000s, and his JSA book will always be one of my favorites. I definitely have lost a lot of faith in him as a writer. He used to be an automatic buy for me, and I wouldn't say that's the case anymore. But having said that, his Stargirl Spring Break special was delightful. And so he obviously still has his chops, and I would love to see him lean into that side of his style, the you know Stargirl and JSA and legacy and fun. 
versus maybe, you know, Doomsday Clock and that and Flashpoint in that style. But like you said, I don't think he's a big presence there anymore. Well, um. Jeff Jones stopped being an automatic buy for me when he was doing the Crayola call in Green Lantern, but I always, <laughs> always enjoyed it. I absolutely loved I mean, I, I've never seen Watchman as Watchman as sacrosanct. I absolutely adored Doomsday Clock and loved the way he explained the DC universe as the metaverse in that. Loved the Star Girl special. And I think perhaps he is becoming kinder to the extent that it was left on Taylor to kill Risk, a Teen Titan, off in Superman rather than Jeff Johns doing it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, uh, let's have a quick word about the Wonder Woman line. Um, I think it's interesting that there's several Wonder Woman books at the moment, um, and the central Wonder Woman book with Michael Conrad and Becky Cloonan has been fantastic. I've really enjoyed it. I mean, I thought the first story was quite long, but it was a good read, and it was kind of epic, and I really enjoyed it. Uh, where are you guys on the, the Wonder line, uh, Man? I absolutely loved the Wonder Woman as a Valkyrie long storyline. Wonder Woman was a, lust, a lusty Asgardian type. It was wonderful. And then when she came back from Asgard, it's not been so good since then. And I just got more and more into heading into this crossover with Amazonian politics. It's just bored me shitless. Uh, <laughs> so I, I, I mean, I, I bought the Wonder, the Wonder Girl series, pretty hard. I haven't even finished the last issue because I just got so bored with the series. You know, read some newbie backups here and there. They were okay, but I just, I'm just sick of the focus on Wonder Woman on Amazons and gods the whole time. Yeah, and Sean, ditto. I, I mean, I literally, I think the exact same feelings as Martin. I want to love those books. I've been really bored with those books, and and I'm just waiting for the next sort of revamp. All right, and this is probably a good point. We'll wrap it up, and I, I'm going to talk about who I think is actually steering the direction of the DC Universe right now. And against all odds, it's Joshua Williamson, I believe. Yep, it is indeed. Yeah, because I, I feel like he's he's the quietest achiever at DC. He's not flashy like Snyder was or Bendis, or you know, he doesn't have a, a weight of reputation. But um, I think the best thing that happened to his career was he finished his Flash run and got off that book. Um, Mm -hmm. Because I think he's doing something that I didn't think... uh, Everyone else has tried to do it, and I don't think anyone's really done it successfully, and that's integrating the whole history of the DC Universe in a way that makes sense. And I think John's tried it. I think, uh, well, going back to Zero Hour, it's tried it. It's... uh, Hyper Time was an attempt to do it with Grant Morrison and Mark Wade. Um, Scott Snyder certainly was having a really uh, strong crack at it with um, metal and uh, death metal. But I think he's actually nailed it. I mean, the way he... Uh, and Infinite Frontier, I think, was the series that everyone should read. If you haven't read that, mm-hmm. it actually really ties things together for the DC universe, the, far, uh, you know, the past with the present, and all the continuity stray and, you know, spread... And it's done a it's done a terrific job. And if you follow that into Justice League Incarnate, and now he's building up to this huge story, which is about the darkness coming into the DC universe, and we're going to get dark crisis. And what's this feeling inside me? Is it excitement for a crossover in the DC universe? <laughs> Could it be? <laughs> and yeah, that's basically it's the it's the giant finger from Swamp Thing back in the Alan Moore run. The rest mm-hmm. of it's coming out of the darkness, and that's going to be what they're contending with, and that's what you know. And this is a, an evil that dwarfs Darkseid, and uh, yeah. So I'm really excited by that story, and I love that he's saying all the continuity matters, and it all can be integrated, and it can all can make sense. And you know, I feel like he's actually doing it in a way that um, 
others have tried and failed. So what do you think, Martin? We've got Josh Williamson fingers that EC Universe is working for me. I mean, <laughs> I, mean I don't know whether you guys are reading Deathstroke, and but basically he's in, he's in, he's using he's bringing the storylines of Deathstroke, Rob and Robin together towards in mm-hmm. and JL into this upcoming crossover involving Razor Gul, this new Shadow War. And he has, he's, he's just quietly been sort of build, building things up. I mean, I was listening to an interview with him recently, saying he works 12 hour days, and it sounds like he's just fallen into being the de facto, de facto showrunner of the DC universe by just working so hard, being so reliable, and having, having some good ideas here and there. And I, I trust, I trust him to do something good. And he keeps saying that, you know, people think that Jay, the death of the Jay's Justice League is going to be one thing, but it's going to be another. And, I would be absolutely surprised and delighted if it turned out that, in fact, by the end of the Justice, by, by the end of the Death of the Justice League, the Justice League, the original Justice League, the current ones, will be on some kind of Bronze Age type Earth and perhaps even stay there, while the new, the new kids, the new Wonder Woman, and your new Superman and everybody takes over for a decade or something here. And I, I don't. In fact, no, I don't really know what's going to happen, and I really enjoy that feeling. He's a good writer, very good writer. Sean, your thoughts? Yeah, I, I think of Joshua Williamson as the Phil Collins of the DC Universe. Like, you know, Peter Gabriel was out in front of Genesis, and that was like Scott Snyder and James Tynan and Tom King, and they were flashy and, you know, wearing flower costumes and everything. And and Joshua Williamson was just back there with, you know, holding the rhythm down on the drums. And then they all bolted for other places, and Williamson stepped up, and it turned out, oh, we've had, you know, he's been here all along, basically. I did not, I was not a huge fan of his because I didn't like his Barry Allen flash run. But that's not really his fault. I just don't love Barry Allen as Flash. And so Infinite Frontier, when that came out, that was brilliant. And then his, you know, the follow-up mini was really good. His Robin book has been fantastic. His Batman run was really good. I'm super excited for Dark Crisis. I've been listening to, to interviews with him. And the thing he keeps coming back to is it's about legacy. He keeps coming back to, hey, what makes this universe special is legacy. And we got away from that. And I'd like to really put that at the forefront again. And that's when you're speaking my language. So I, I also am very excited about that. And, and I, I really feel good about him being the, you know, maybe dominant voice for a while because he just seems to be really in love with the DC universe. And I think that's what you need. Mm. I feel, I feel like the DC universe for a long time, it was in harness to certain things under Dan DiDio. And I think Mm -hmm. with him leaving, they've actually let the reins go and, we're getting some really interesting stuff to come out. Like so, like someone like Joshua Williams, I mean, he's running and he's dazzling me. I've never been impressed by him when he was on The Flash, but, you know, mm-hmm. everything he's doing now is great. And it, it's coming with this massive love of the DC Universe and this knowledge of the past, which, uh, you know, he's seeking to honour and push forward at the same time, which, you know, that's exactly what I want from the DC Universe. I mean, the legacy of the DC Universe is the most exciting thing about it if you have been reading it for a long time. You know, and the respect for the characters have gone before, and I I hate the, you know, the runs that we all hate are the ones that sort of... um, crap on the past I guess but mm-hmm. this was you know we don't like the past and we, we're going to disrespect it and things like but um, yeah I, I think they're in, DC's in a really good place at the moment and probably the best place they've been since about um, I would say since Infinite Crisis when there was excitement yeah. in the air yeah I, I think they're in a really good spot at the moment and there's some really good creators so um, yeah uh, I, I, I'm very happy with the DC universe right now 
So any closing thoughts before we wrap this up? Buy the collection of the Batman and Scooby-Doo mysteries. <laughs> <laughs> I would say to uh, give more work to Mark Russell. I, they, they, there's all these, you know, really great voices in comics right now. And I think he is the next kind of Morrison, but Morrison by way of Keith Giffen. And uh, I just want to, you know, there, there are all these great writers out there. There's all these great creators. And I'd love to see those quirky voices get more shine, too. So I don't need to ask if you don't find One Star Squadron too depressing, then, do I? <laughs> One Star Squadron has not been my favorite Mark Russell work, but I, I do love his, you know, his Wonder Twins book was brilliant, and I, I really him. like him. Yeah, wonderful. No, I, I agree. I want, I want to see more work from Mark Russell. He's just, he's just an instant buy for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would like a Green Arrow book, and I'd like it. Uh, I don't care who writes it, but Otto Schmidt back on art would be great. Oh, oh yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Please. And um, yeah, I, the DC versus vampires, I love that. But I mean, clearly we were robbed when they didn't commit to Hal Jordan being a villain, because <laughs> <laughs> that's what that book teaches me is he is a fantastic villain when he completely embraces it. So. Yeah. <laughs> All right, gentlemen, thank you for your time. It's uh, been a long chat, probably one of the longest podcasts I've ever recorded, but uh, I think we. Uh, did a really interesting conversation about the state of DC and Marvel so thank you very much now where can people find you Martin and uh, read your fantastic reviews and things like that very kind I blog at a place called Too Dangerous for a Girl which you can find by typing that in somewhere and I'm on Twitter at at March Gray excellent and Sean where are you on your podcasts and stuff social so you can find me on twitter at uh, sean 42 az i am the co-host of the bat pod with bill beer i'm the co-host of the never-ending reading pile with gregor rujo on the pulp to pixel podcast network and then i am one of the co-hosts with the wonderful martin gray on the all-star squadron worlds on fire podcast with billy delicious uh, martin and i alternate with billy though i think we are going to be doing an episode together coming up which is going to be awesome and uh yeah so just a lot of fun. Thank you so much for having us, Paul and, and Martin. It was so great to talk to you guys. And it was really fun. You know, a lot of us in this in this our small little podcasting community, which is a wonderful community, we focus on the books that we grew up with. You know, we, we are all, all sort of, you know, deep in our nostalgia, which is wonderful. But I think sometimes as a community, we forget that there are still great books coming out every Wednesday and, you know, that that there are great comics from every era. And I, I like that we focused on that today. So thank you for letting me join today. No, pleasure. 100%. Thank you. All right, everyone. Uh, that's it for this episode. Um, yeah, I think we've got a Waiting for Doom coming up next. You can look forward to that. We're talking about World's Finest or Bizwith, Batman, Superman, World's Finest, which we didn't discuss today. <laughs> but, yeah, but that's another good one and a little bit nostalgic. All right. Thanks, everyone. See you later.